Praise the Lord. Your Jesus is so wonderful. He's so good. My grandfather met him in the 1930s in Iran and uh, fell in love with him. In the 1950s, he began a prayer meeting in his home. They prayed every day without fail for over four years. And out of that grew a number of churches and missions and ministries. And uh, as I look back on my life, I'm grateful for the incredible story that we've been able to be part of. But my grandfather was famous for asking a very simple question. He would, uh, whoever he met, he would ask the question, do you love Jesus? If he met Alan, the first thing he'd ask you, Alan, do you love Jesus? And as a child growing up, I would, I, I would often think, you know, when is he going to grow out of that question? You know, when is he going to ask something more sophisticated, something more important? We had a very famous evangelist one time came to our home. A name, if I said it, you'd all know who it is. And uh, so he comes for dinner. We're all excited. And he comes in, and my grandfather says... Uh, to this evangelist who's led thousands and thousands of people to Christ. He says, do you love Jesus? And um, he lived to 99 and four months at his 99th birthday. There was a big party for him. A hundred people or so were there. He was old. I realized that when you're 99, you have a birthday party, not because you want to, but because the family want to. He was old and exhausted but I went up to him, he was tired, and I said to him, we all used to call him Papa. And I said, Papa, do you love Jesus? And his eyes lit up. 99-year-old man looked up at me, his eyes were sparkling. Like a child in a candy store so in love with Jesus Christ. And I want to pray for you guys as we speak today and this weekend. My heart for you is you leave this weekend loving Jesus Christ more than ever before. He is so wonderful. So I'm excited to share a little bit with you a message. I feel I hope we'll encourage you, but also I think hopefully we'll release something, and it's so interesting to hear from our sisters in the west of Ireland. I think it's all connected, um, but I'm excited to be here. I'm I was born in Iran. My father is Iranian, but my mother is English, Irish, Welsh. Her grandmother is a Flanagan. Sorry, my grandmother is a Flanagan. Are there any Flanagans or Flanagans in here? No. Oh, how disappointing. I was hoping to meet some cousins or something. Um, so it's so interesting. As I was praying this morning, enjoying the worship, looked at a map of Ireland on my phone, then just my heart is stirred for uh, Ireland. And I phoned my wife. I said, we're just going to have to take a, a nice long road trip around Ireland and pray for this country and enjoy the beautiful uh, place. I think God is going to do something great among you. So, 
Before I dive in, just a little plug for a, a, a podcast that we have called Jesus Speaks Farsi. It should come up on the screen. Is it up there? Yeah. Uh, just if you enjoy any of the stories of what God is doing in the Iran region, this is a brilliant podcast. Actually, Joe is one of the hosts with a couple of other colleagues, and you hear stories of, from the church in Iran itself, from people, from Iranians. Um, and so go and check that out if, you, uh, if you'd like to. So I'd like to read one verse from Acts chapter 1, and then we'll read a bit more later. But it says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote, all about, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. As I was reading this the other day, the sense that I had for this conference, I looked at this and I thought, Here's Luke. He's writing in my former book. What has Luke written? He's written a beautiful book, the book of Luke. We love it. It's an incredible story. But here he writes in my former book, O Theophilus. Actually, it says O Theophilus in the Greek. O the it's a term of endearment. He's calling to his friend, and his friend's name is friend of God. Theophilus means friend of God. And he says... Oh, friend of God, I wrote a f another book. What's he saying? He says, there's another story to write. There is another story to write. And as I was praying for you, for Ireland, my sense was very clearly that there is another story to write for Ireland. Amen? There's another story to write for the people of this land. And so many times we think that the story is over. And I loved what Andy was saying last night. There's a sense in which this is a seed, not a remnant. Because the story is going to go on. The story will carry on. I was born in Iran in 1974. Uh, we moved out Fairly quickly, my father was with the Bible societies. We lived in the Philippines and then in Lebanon and then in the UK from the time I was 1983. But we, at that time, we used to go back to Iran uh, fairly regularly, every summer. And I remember being in Iran in the summer of 1985. And um, we had, so I was 11. It was just six years after the Islamic Revolution. And we were walking the streets of Tehran, and the symbols of Islam were everywhere. All the women were first forced to wear the head covering. My sister, who was only a couple of years older than me, forced to wear the head covering. You walk the streets, and there are signs of the big pictures of Ayatollah Khomeini. You see the mosques. And then we walk past this big, huge mural. Death to America. Next to it, death to Israel. 60 million Iranian Muslims at the time. Only a handful of Christians. And we walked into this little tiny church right there in Tehran. 
And we, as we're walking in, see just a few people, and you're walking off the streets, and there's just this heaviness. We go in, and there's a few Christians praying. A few Christians praying. And I'm 11 years old. I'm watching this scene. And what are they praying? These guys are praying with all their hearts for Iran. Lord, come and save this nation. Bring your salvation to the people from the north to the south to the east to the west. With tears, they're crying out to God. My grandfather with arms raised high and the tears running down his face. Lord, come and save Iran. Come and do something great in this nation. 11 years old. Do you know what I was thinking? Can God answer their prayer? Can God answer this prayer? They had, my grandfather prayed for four years every single day, a whole group of them for four years. They hadn't seen much breakthrough, not much growth. And then there was tragedy, like you saw in that story of Mark and Gladys Bliss. I knew that family. I knew Mark and Gladys. I didn't know the children, but I knew Mark and Gladys myself. And then there's the revolution, and then there's the the persecution, the missionaries are kicked out. This does not look like a very hopeful story. But why were they praying that story? Why were they praying that prayer? They're praying that prayer because they believed there was another story to write for Iran. And my friends, I know you've been praying for Ireland for many years. Don't give up. Keep going. The story is about to ignite one way or the other. It won't happen overnight. I was reflecting on this earlier with Joe, and after that prayer meeting, they went home. Nothing much changed. But you come back and you fast forward all these years, so much change. We all know what it's like when... We hope for something great, but things don't turn out like we want to. Have we had that experience? Every hand probably goes up. Instead of breakthrough, there's loss, disappointment, and even severe suffering. The story doesn't go as we thought it would. And we think, can God answer our prayer? Is the story over? Luke writes... In my first book, I wrote about what Jesus began to do and to teach. In other words, Jesus is still working. And so he says, I want to write the follow-up story. Because the story goes on. And the story, as you saw in the video, has gone on. There are thousands of evangelists now in Iran, more than ever before, every single day, all over the country, people are talking about Jesus Christ. Not only are they talking about Him, people are coming to Christ every single day. The Bible was banned. The Bible was banned. So the decision was made to flood the country with the Bible. I don't know how that happens when you 
you, you think, okay, well, they banned it, but let's pray that God will flood it. And I can tell you that God is flooding Iran with the Word of God. We translated the New Testament into Persian, uh, the modern translation in 2003. We printed 10,000 copies at that time. I, I was, um, at that time, I'd been with Elam five years. It's 25 years I'm with Elam. We printed 10,000 copies. And I remember thinking, what are we going to do with 10,000 copies? That's going to take 100 years to distribute. This next week, I will place an order for 250,000 New Testaments, taking us to over 3 million New Testaments for Iran. And the government still doesn't like it. Here's a picture of one of the borders going into Iran. Can you see that? On the right-hand side, you see the red New Testaments, the New Testament. In the middle, some uh, SD cards. Then there's a children's Bible. And uh, it says, do you know, taking illegally, uh, illegal Christian or Zionist material into the country is strictly prohibited. So everybody entering Iran, every Iranian going in, sees a beautiful advert for the Bible paid for by the Iranian government... Because they know that Iran is being flooded with the Word of God. Praise God. So, what's the message for us? How does that relate to Ireland? The story, there is another story for Ireland, I believe. And we've just heard about the seeds that have been planted here. A prayed over those seeds that have been planted. This is not the time to give up. This is the time to keep going because those seeds will come to life. The book of Acts teaches us that God is writing the story and He invites us into His story. And when He's writing the story, whatever situation that we're in, it's not the end of the story. That little group of people praying in Iran knew it was not the end of the story. When you gather here at Nua, it's because you know it's not the end of the story. And God is going to write a beautiful story in this land. So let's just, and let me say this, and this is important. When we learn to submit to and live into the story that God is writing... He can take even the most broken parts of our lives and make something beautiful out of it. When we learn to submit to, live into the story that He is writing, He can take even the most broken parts of our lives and make something beautiful. And so I want to just spend a few more moments, I'll tell a few stories, but look at what the, how the rest of the story that Luke was talking about actually began. So, let's just read Acts 1, 1 to 8, and I'll pull a few things out. In my former book, O Theophilus, I wrote all about that, all about, oh, sorry, all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. 
After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, he was eating with them. He gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father that my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates. The father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Three quick things. First of all, who's at the center of this story? Who's going to be at the center of the story of Ireland? It's a risen Jesus says in verse 3 and 4, it says, After his suffering, he presented himself alive to his disciples. And in Iran, over the last few decades, Jesus has been presenting himself alive to people all over the country. One of our friends is Asreen, a Kurdish woman who... Uh, had decided to be a Kurdish militia fighter from the north of Iran. She prayed to God. She said, God, if you are there, she'd become an atheist, but then, you know, atheists sometimes pray to God. Um, And she said, I don't believe in you, but if you're there, I give you seven nights to appear to me. And so, otherwise, I really will forget you. I'm going to go and train to be a Kurdish fighter. First night, nothing. Second night, nothing. Third night, nothing. Fourth night, nothing. Fifth night, nothing. Sixth night, nothing. Seventh night, God, if you're there, this is your last chance. She goes to bed. She falls asleep. And she has a dream. In her dream, she's in this huge hole. A huge hall where many, many people are, are excited. They say, somebody's coming, somebody's coming. And as she's watching and waiting, an older man comes and stands and she says, what's going on? Somebody's coming. And uh, she sees this man come and people are worshiping and singing and, and getting excited. And the man says, is there anything I can do for you? She says, I want to talk to God. He says, okay, I'll arrange it. And that man comes all the way, and the man goes and talks to the man. And the man comes, all in white. And Asreen is talking to this man who's just come into the hall. And he says, what can I do to you, for you? He says, she says, I want to talk to God. And he says, talk to me. She says, no, no, you don't understand. I want to talk to God. He says, talk to me. She said, I want to talk to God. He said, one more time, talk to me. She said, in that moment, I knew this was Jesus Christ. She woke up, long story, 
few months later, somebody gives her a New Testament, one of these New Testaments. She sits in a park, reads John chapter 11, and comes to the story of Lazarus. And right there on a park bench, she says to God, I need your resurrection. Give me your resurrection. Right there on that park bench, she gave her life to Christ. She has led hundreds of other people to know Jesus. Jesus is presenting himself alive all over the Iran region. A mullah, a leader of a mosque studying in an Islamic seminary library, looking for a book, pulls out one of these New Testaments. How it got there, we don't know. He says, though, I sat there in the library, in the seminary library, reading this book. And he said, after five hours of reading, I was so gripped. I said, I want to know who is this man who heals blind eyes. Today, he's a leader, Christian leader. And he's led other Muslim mullahs to Christ. A policeman sees the change in his wife. She's become a believer. He's a senior policeman persecuting people, hurting people. People are afraid of him, but his wife has become a Christian. She's trying to hide it from him because she's terrified of him. But he sees such change in her life. He today is a believer in Jesus Christ because she, Jesus is showing himself to be alive. My friend Farshid, you saw him on the video. You, saw, you heard his voicemail. He had been in prison for five years. One point while he was in prison... He'd been in solitary, solitary confinement for 359 days. Goes into the main section of the prison after a year or so. One of the senior political dissidents who'd been in prison came up to him. Very Islamic guy. Came and said, come, come to the side. He said, come, come. Talk to me. He says, Farshid says, I said, what, what can I do? And the man says this. Ours is dead. Yours is alive. Tell me about your God. Ours is dead. Yours is alive. Jesus has been presenting himself alive all over the Iran region. And that's how the story will carry on. That's how the story will happen because Jesus is the one. He began to do and to teach, and he's carrying on. He said, I will build my church. He didn't say, Alan will build my church, or David. I'm sure Alan's doing a great job. But Jesus said he will build his church. It's his story. The risen Jesus is at the center of the story of the church, and we partner with him. And when Iranians come to know the risen Jesus, not only do they know that he is alive, they know that he is Lord and they live like he is Lord. That's why they're ready to suffer for him. Why? Because it actually says after his suffering, he presented himself alive. They know that Jesus suffered for them. Jesus suffered but is alive. And so within the Iranian church, there's this sense that we will suffer with him because he is worth it all. When persecution comes to you, 
you are forced to ask the question, is he worth it all? Tonight we sang one of our favorite songs, he is worthy of it all, right? But you're forced to ask the question, is he really worthy of it all? Is he worthy of my life, my family, my job, my status, whatever it is? And so many have answered that question, yes, Jesus, you are worth it all. Jesus, you are worth it all. One of our favorite heroes of the faith in the church in Iran is a guy called Mehdi Dibaj, who in the 50s came to Christ. One of the very few from a very high class, a high-level Islamic family. In 1985, finally, they imprisoned him. He'd been in prison for nine years in Tehran. And in 1990, almost nine years, 1993, November 1993, they sentenced him to death. And they took him before an Islamic court. Three judges standing in front of him. All he had to do was just say a little white lie that I'm not, I don't really believe anymore. And they say to him, his final defense, and I want to read a little bit of what he said to three Islamic judges and the whole Islamic court. They tell me return, but from the arms of my God, who can I return to? Is it right to accept what people are saying instead of obeying the word of God? It is now 45 years that I am walking with the God of miracles and his kindness upon me is like a shadow. And I owe him much for his fatherly love and concern. To know him means to know eternal life. I, a useless sinner, have believed in his beloved person and all his words and miracles recorded in the gospel. And I have committed my life into his hands. Life for me is an opportunity to serve him, and death is a better opportunity to be with Christ. Therefore, I am not only satisfied to be in prison for the honor of his holy name, but I'm ready. To give my life for the sake of Jesus, my Lord. Risen Jesus, presenting himself alive. When he is alive, he is Lord of all. And he is worth it all. And I speak to some of the leaders here. Show the next generation that he is worthy of it all. Show the next generation that you mean business. That you really, you really think Jesus is worthy of every aspect of your life. But because, because we have had people like Mehdi, the next generation, are following in that and they're bearing so much fruit, fruit that Mehdi Dibaj never saw. You might not see the fruit that the next generation will see, but they will learn from you. They will learn from your sacrifice. They will learn from your determination. They will learn from your faith and your conviction. So I want to play you a voicemail in a moment of one of my friends, a guy called Farshad. He and his Wife and one daughter, his wife was pregnant at the time in December, leading a small group of people for a little bit of training inside Iran. Suddenly, 50 people, armed men, walk into, their, into the place. 
arrest him. He'd been in prison for a few months. He was able to call his wife. And so he calls his wife from prison in Iran. This was in March, February, March. His wife recorded the voice call. And so we're gonna, I'm going to play it for you. Here you'll hear a guy in prison this year in Iran calling his wife. Now, I don't know what, you would, what your emotions would be like if you're calling your wife from prison in Iran. But listen to these guys and see if you think they believe Jesus is worth it all. After about four and a half, five months, Farshad was released. And I got to speak with him and, and his wife on Zoom for about an hour and 20 minutes. It was one of the most encouraging calls I've had in, a, in my whole life, quite frankly. Uh, he said, you know, the Lord allows us to go through storms. But the storms, he, he doesn't promise to take the storms away from us. But it's, the storms are full of peace and grace. And he did this. He said, the storm was going around like this, peace and grace, peace and grace. While he was in prison, he was able to lead many people to Christ. And uh, now he is out of prison. He and his wife are discipling, have reached and are discipling some of his prison friends, their families. So in total, 35 people have come to Christ and are being discipled because of his time in prison. Isn't that amazing? God has used, yeah, you can praise God. You see, the risen Jesus is at the center of the story. He's writing the story. We don't understand all the parts of the story, but when we submit to the story, when we lean into it, when we live into it, He can take even the hard parts of our stories and do something beautiful with it. Jesus, it says, presented himself alive to them, and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. 
Jesus, alive Jesus, is spending 40 days with the disciples talking about the kingdom of God. And then the disciples ask one of those very disappointing questions. Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're not quite in the right story yet. Their minds haven't quite got there. You see, the story, what is the story about? The story is about the kingdom of God, God's plan, God's will. So many times we want a story that's according to our thoughts, our timing, our, want, our will. And here, God is, uh, Jesus gently just says, that's not for you to know. But you will receive power. You will receive power in this story. You will not do this story alone. If there's a new story for Ireland, it's because you receive power from on high. But the beautiful news is that we are invited into the story. One of the reasons the church in Iran is growing so fast is that everybody is playing their part. You see, People say, well, how come the church in Iran is growing? One of the reasons is the lordship of Jesus. Another reason is <clears throat> there were no churches. Pastors could not build the church on their own ministry. Not because Iranian Christians are clever and they know what to do, but they simply were forced to actually enable the whole church to do the job. And so that's what's happening. The church in Iran is growing because everybody is playing their part. People are getting involved in the story. They are telling other people about Jesus. So it's not just one person distributing these, going and telling people. We, Iranian Christians, when they met Jesus Christ, they simply go to somebody else and say, I've met Jesus Christ, the living God. And I'd like to give you a gift. You can read it. You can learn about him too. And so I want to encourage you, as you look at the story of Ireland, how is it going to grow? It's not going to grow through platforms. It's not going to grow through one or two great, brilliant preachers and evangelists. May God raise them up. But it's going to grow through the simple telling of the story of Jesus. One story at a time. One story at a time. One event at a time. This will not happen overnight. I've seen this story unfold over my lifetime. It's been a lifetime. And before that, there were many who sacrificed. But it can happen as we all play our parts. As you read the book of Acts, it's amazing to see how many times I challenge you to do this. Just go and skim it. How many times does it say they spoke, they opened their mouths, they said, they replied, they spoke, they proclaimed, they preached, they spoke, they opened their mouths. When Philip is, on the, is um, talking to the Ethiopian, he's transported, he's there, it says, he opened his mouth and began to explain the gospel. This story will happen when we open our eyes, as we heard last night, and we also open our mouths. I want to encourage you. I want to pray, actually, that there will be a release of telling people 
about Jesus all over this nation. And I want to say, you know, people want to know the truth. Don't believe the lie that it's not possible, that people are not interested. I remember I went for a haircut. This is not Iran. This is just locally, and I'll try and finish quickly with this, and then one more story, and then I'll close. Went for a haircut, just local, new barber, new lady who was cutting hair, um, and I sat down, never seen her before. And, um, you know, it was, it's the type of person that you think, this person is never, ever going to be interested in the gospel. Let's just enjoy the haircut, don't say anything, just leave. So, but as she's cutting my hair, I mean, if I described what she looked like, you'd think, yeah, we'd all think she's not going to be interested. But I suddenly feel convicted for feeling this way, right? So, you ever felt like that? So, I say, you know, I start to talk, and, and I start sharing a little bit about Jesus. And she's cutting my hair, and she stops. And she says, Jesus, we've been thinking about going to church. And she started to cry. She was really crying, and I got really worried because I thought it's very difficult to cut hair when you're crying. <laughs> and we talked. What I'm saying is they're everywhere, people everywhere. If you talk to them about Jesus, I've met Jesus Christ. He's so wonderful. He's amazing. He's my Savior. They'll listen to you. They'll talk to you. Not everybody. But I pray there'll be a release in the power of the Holy Spirit for everybody to play their part. The story culminates as you read further down. Jesus ascends. How does the story eventually culminate? They're on the hill. Jesus has ascended. And all the disciples are standing there looking up. And they're just looking up. And they're waiting. And then the angels come. The disciples are there and their mouths are dropping maybe and they're just looking into nothing. And the angels come and say, Jesus who went up will come back this way. The story is that Jesus will come back. The risen Jesus will come back. And so the angel says, basically, go and get on with the job. What are you standing here for looking up into heaven? Go and get on with the job. Go and get on with what God has called you to do, whatever he's asked you to do. And the, uh, one of the most encouraging things about the church in Iran is it's growing through really simple things. One simple conversation that somebody has with their friend leads to a whole series of events that God does incredible things. So don't just wait for the return. Go and get on with what you want to do, what God is, whatever, however big or small, but be a witness. Jesus says, I, you will be my witnesses. So one last story. We've encouraged people from Iranians who become Christians from all over the world to share the gospel with their friends and family back in Iran. So this guy calls an old friend of his, this guy who's become a Christian actually in America, Iranian, calls an old friend from 30 years ago. 
says, um, his friend's name is Javad. He said, I want to tell you I've become a Christian. Javad is now a senior military man in Iran. A senior military man in Iran. And he says, shares the gospel. He said, look, I, can you talk to my son? We've been estranged for years. His son's name is Imad. What's the story? Javad, the dad, is a senior military man. When his son was young, he wanted his son to be this great macho, you know, strong military kind of guy. And the son just wasn't the same way. So they never really got on. And whenever he, he, he would bring his military buddies home, he was embarrassed about his son. You know, embarrassed about him. So he'd say, make yourself scarce, make yourself scarce. Go to your room. When he was old, he said, why don't you just leave the house? Finally, one day in his mid-teens, Imad, the son, the friends are coming. And the dad says, make yourself scarce. So he does. And he never comes home. He lives on the streets of Tehran. In the... Yeah, just living for four years on the streets until this guy calls him from America, leads him to Christ. Incredible. Shares the story, the man's heart, the young man's heart, full of passion, leads him to Christ. So he starts to disciple him. And so as he starts to disciple him, it's time for Imad, this new guy who's just homeless, on the edge of, you know, who's homeless, becomes a Christian, talks to the dad. The dad actually welcomes him back into the home. So he's now back at home, and so my friend in America wants to send him a Bible. So how do you do that? You send the Bible by, you can't just deliver it. You've got to go somewhere near their house, or because of the police, the security, somewhere near their house, drop it off, and take a picture of where it is, hide it, take a picture, and send it to the person to go and pick it up. Do you follow what I'm saying? If you want a Bible, that's what you do. You find the local place, hide it. And so the guy arranging the Bible distribution says to Imad, where do you want me to hide the Bible? What's your address? He said, don't worry, anywhere you want in North Tehran. That would be like saying anywhere in Belfast and, you know, the whole, just anywhere. Just put it anywhere. And so he says, are you sure? He said, yeah, don't worry, I'll go find it. So he goes, the guy who's delivering the Bible goes, hides the Bible somewhere, takes a picture, sends it to him. So Imad gets the picture, and he calls the man, and he says, why have you sent me this picture? He says, because that's where, my timer's up, that's where, <laughs> he says, um, that's where the Bible is, sorry, that's where, uh, so why did you send me this picture? Can you see the picture here? He says, why did you send me this picture? He said, because that's where I put the Bible. He said, but why have you sent me this picture? He said, because that's where I've, sent, I've hidden the Bible. He says, no, you don't understand. Why have you sent me this picture? And the man is getting frustrated now because that's where I hid the Bible. And Imad says, you don't know? He says, I don't know what. He says, that's the bench where I lived as a homeless person for four years. That's the exact 
bench. How did you know in all of North Tehran, in all of North Tehran, you chose that place? When I heard that story, I just wept. God knew Imad's bench. God knew Imad's bench. And I want to say, my brothers and sisters, he knows your bench. He knows how to come and meet you in the place of your greatest ever suffering. Transform it. Make it into something beautiful. Redeem it. And he knows the benches of people north and south, east and west of this country. He knows what pub chair they sit on. He knows the places where they weep. And so God writes beautiful stories. And he's going to write a beautiful story for Ireland. Just want to invite the guys to come up.